God rest ye merry gentlemen, God rest ye ladies fair. There's joy and cheer and mirth and fun, there's Christmas in the air. So haste ye, all ye merry boys, the yule log to the firing. With zest and shout and gladsome noise, we'll sing to the hearts desiring. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Welcome to our special Christmas episode. Mm. This year, we're going to chat about one of my favorite loves of life, food. Mm. (laughs) I love food. Yeah, but are we going to love it after we've heard what the Tudors did with it? Possibly. Possibly. (laughs) But before we start, I want you to pause the podcast, go boil a little water, then put it in a mug with cinnamon, ginger, allspice, and nutmeg, and put it by where you will be sitting. Those are the scents of Tudor England. If... If you want to be true to a farmer or a merchant's wife, add a sprig of rosemary. For some reason, they liked mm. rosemary and bay as well. They were a little cheaper, I think. Oh, yeah. Bay would be... You get massive trees of bay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I miss the fact when we moved, we lost our bay tree, and I haven't been able to find another one yet. Oh, we've got a dinky little lollipop-shaped one. I don't normally go for topiary, but it arrived lollipop-shaped, and I felt obliged to keep it that way. <laughs> That's hilarious. (laughs) Make yourself a hot chocolate, or if you are of legal age and a responsible adult, a hot toddy or mulled wine or ale, if you want to stick to the Tudor theme. Right, great. I'm off then. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Sit yourself down in your comfiest chair in front of a fireplace. If you don't have a fireplace in Canada, you can turn on the TV to the fireplace channel. And wait for the monkey gloves. Yes. (laughs) Somebody puts a new log on it all the time. And it's usually just an old gentleman's hand with a flannel shirt, red and black or red and green flannel shirt. But every once in a while, they use a gorilla glove, like a costume (laughs) glove to put on. So the kids sit there and wait for that gorilla glove. (laughs) It's hilarious. I don't think we've got that. If you don't have it, YouTube does have a fireplace video that you can watch. But I don't know if they have a... A gorilla glove. <laughs> well, I haven't got the fire. I've got the fire lit downstairs, but I've got hot water bottle. I've got my hot water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> nippy today. <laughs> yes, you can imagine snow. I'm in Canada, in BC, and we have snow. Hmm. And I'm in Somerset, in in the UK, and we've got fog. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap yourself up in a blanket or a quilt. Snuggle up with your animal, and imagine you are in Tudor England. The night is long, but you have your fire, family, friends, and good cheer around you. And if we're going to be honest, it'll be loud. (laughs) People having a great time. We're going to think about all we eat as we chat about the food the tutors would be preparing and eating. And I'm sorry, Lucy, but the tutors did not go in for vegan food. (laughs) No, no, No. I'm bracing myself here. No. Just imagine no, all the animals as sugar sculptures, because those would be on the table. Okay. They used to love taking sugar and making it look like things that it wasn't. Like Oh, marzipan as well. Yes. Made lots of marzipan sculptures. Yes. yes. Often of um, one of the guests. Oh, really? If you, yeah. I found nativity scenes were made of marzipan right now. Oh. And castles. Mm-hmm. They used to make castles and barns and... But would you have eaten it afterward? I mean, surely you didn't eat the nativity, nativity scene, did you? The nativity scene would sit for the entirety of Christmas, so I'd imagine you wouldn't want to eat it. But the rest yeah, of the marzipan sculptures were eaten and often gilded in gold. Let's set the scene. 
We have been experiencing Advent. These are the days leading up to and including the morning of Christmas Eve. And it was a time of fasting. It lasted four weeks. That meant no one was eating meat, eggs, or cheese, unless you were pregnant or ill. I think that's a really good idea, fasting before Christmas. I think so too. (laughs) (laughs) Every year. Oh, there's five pounds I didn't want. (laughs) Advent was meant to be a time of penitence, thinking on your sins and asking God for forgiveness. The Catholic Church and other religions seem to think that being hungry helps you focus and become closer to God. I find it makes me focus on being hungry. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, wonder if God got a say in this, like, this plan. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Christmas Eve was the last day of fasting and could end after noon of Christmas. People had often begun preparations for Christmas, including the food that could be made ahead of time. So some foods you can make ahead of time. Can you imagine the torment of making this delicious food that you're not even allowed to (laughs) taste to ensure it's going to taste okay? (laughs) I wonder if cooks got a a get out of jail free card (laughs) because they needed to taste their food. But I don't think so. You must have to, t- I'm just to make sure you haven't put salt instead of sugar or something. I mean, you must taste yes. it a bit. <laughs> You'd have to. Well, we know that they wouldn't have done the salt or no. sugar mix up because sugar was so expensive. It was locked away in a room. Mm. If you were a noble house, the lady of the house actually had the key. She had the only key. She would come down, measure it out and give it to you because how expensive it was. A bit like the, um, tan- it was called a tantalus in Victorian times, I don't and know that was a special lock that went on the top of your bottles of alcohol. Really? And only only the master of the house or possibly mistress would have the key. Oh, that's awesome. Certainly the servants wouldn't have the key. <laughs> <laughs> and it was called a tantalus because you could see it, but you couldn't get at it. I, where was I? Oh, I, I dislike it when I know something, but I can't remember <laughs> where I got it from. That cooks often got paid an additional amount of beer because it was hot work. So they got their pay, their room and board, but they also got a certain amount of beer every month. Where did I learn that? It must have been absolutely roasting in those kitchens, wasn't it, with massive fires? Yes. I mean, in a big kitchen for a palace or something. Yeah. For Tudors, they only had wood fireplaces to cook on. It's not like they had stoves or anything that were vented outside. Mm. Yeah. Back to Christmas food. We would start with plum porridge or plum pudding. It's called both. It's eaten across many class lines as an appetizer. It was thought to line the stomach to protect it from the rich dinner everyone would be eating. You line your stomach against dinner. I mean, yes. you line your stomach against alcohol, but I didn't know you lined it against <laughs> eating more. <laughs> there are so many accounts of so many people getting sick the next day after a major feast. It could just be because the sheer amount of food that was eaten or the spices that were used more liberally or for the first time each year mm. than a stomach was used to. It could also have been the enormous amount of alcohol consumed. <laughs> No, no, I'm sure it wasn't that. (laughs) Plum porridge would help you, or so it was thought. But it's not what I would think of as porridge, and I have no idea how they thought these ingredients would be a protection against (laughs) tummy (laughs) troubles. 
It was a thick broth of mutton or beef. Most had mutton. It was boiled in a skin with plums or other fruit that was either on hand fresh or dried. Plenty of expensive spices, breadcrumbs to thicken the texture, and of course, a liberal amount of wine. <laughs> Let's start off with the alcohol. Well, I can sort of see that as an an after thing, you know, if you've been drinking a fair amount the night before, you some for some reason hair of the dog. You hank, hanker. <laughs> well, I was thinking you hanker after a big fried breakfast. Ah. <laughs> but but this having that beforehand just seemed to be a bit counterintuitive. Yes. But then, yeah, if you're going out, you know, you're going to drink. You make sure you eat something, don't you? But you don't generally <laughs> fill it with wine. <laughs> no, I can't imagine yeah. alcohol settling an unhappy tummy. <laughs> I, just, I don't get no. it. No. We then move on to main courses. Souse was a common Christmas dish. This is pickled pig's feet and ears. Ooh, scrummy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the perhaps more appealing food of the Tudor Christmas pie was also served. In the Christmas pie, they would stuff a pigeon inside a chicken that was then stuffed inside a goose. And this is for wealthier homes. This was then put inside a pastry shell and baked. I really don't like that the tutors called the pastry shell a coffin. <laughs> they do, yes. I've come across that in recipe books. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> I don't know, that seems quite apt if you've got three three miserable birds inside. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was, was each of these animals lured into the bigger one with a little trail of grain? <laughs> Once they got in, they thought, oh, hang on, can't get out. <laughs> oh, they would. Do you want me to describe the preparation? Go on then. Okay. I, sh I shan't be taking notes. <laughs> so you do, oh, what is it called now? It starts with an S. Spatchcock. You would spatchcock the chicken or the turkey or the grouse. Well, all of them. Then you. I don't know what spatchcock means. Spatchcock means you cut down the back and then you put it flat and you break the breastbone. That sounds a bit like the spread eagle thing from the <laughs> Norse myth. Yes, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> Once you've broken the breastbone, you then flip it over so you're now looking at the bones and that way you can debone the inside of the chicken. You leave the drumsticks and the wings there. But all of the inside, ribs, breastbone, all of that comes out. And then you put the chicken that has also been done inside the goose or sorry you put the pigeon inside the chicken and then the chicken inside the goose and then you sew it back up because now it has no bones this just sounds sounds so macabre <laughs> I, they still make this in canada it's called a turducken oh, <laughs> you'll sometimes get a turkey that has been stuffed with a duck Arr. that's been stuffed with a chicken yeah hmm. i spent most of the entire evening wondering if i was going to get food poisoning <laughs> How do you make sure it's fully cooked without overcooking stuff? It was tasty. I did enjoy it, but I was a little concerned. <laughs> to top it off, this Christmas pie was then in a noble house or a person's house that was allowed to hunt. It would be surrounded by other game birds. So you'd find pigeons and quail and pheasant all around this Christmas pie that had been roasted. Quite bird heavy then, isn't it, this meal? This particular, well, see, we're saying meal, but all of the things I'm about to explain were served at the same time hmm. because you were serving a lot of people and you were expected to serve more than they could eat. So you'd then have alms for the poor. 
This was one of the few times in the year where people who were ill or beggars would show up and actually get food that they'd never eaten the rest of the year because you were expected to not eat everything. That was gluttony. Right. So you were practicing both charity and ensuring you were not gluttonous during Christmas. We've gotten away from the gluttonous, and most people now want to take a food coma afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of a nap. But yes, you would see several of these dishes. Even farmers would have multiple dishes of food at this time. Most farmers would be given some food from their lord, but we will discuss that a little bit later. We now move on to brawn. (laughs) Brawn was popular at all levels of society, which was quite surprising to me. I assumed that brawn was for the poorer classes. Brawn is... This is a pork dish. Meat that's made into a sort of stock. Oh, right. Yes. Farmers and villagers would eat the cheapest cut of the head of a pig. And now, if you've seen brawn, it's been boiled, the meat has come off the skull, and then it's put into, like you said, this jelly kind of thing. That's not exactly what they would have had in the Tudor period. It would have been the actual head of the pig, skin on Mm. everything. As you see in every film, Tudor film, isn't it? You always see the head of the pig on on the table. Yes. And we will explain why that is. The merchant class would be able to afford more expensive cuts, and the nobility and royalty would actually have wild boar instead of pork, as they usually hunted and the lower classes were not allowed to hunt Mm. boar. Boar in the Tudor time was starting to become scarce, so it became the reserve of nobility only. I've looked at several recipes from the time, and there is a huge range of methods and flavor profiles for brawn and wild boar. All, however, include rosemary, bay leaves, various fruits, and all were boiled in wine. They weren't boiled in water. (laughs) Here we go, more wine. I suppose your bay leaves and your rosemary would still be around in in the winter anyway as well. Yes, they're evergreen. Other other things would have, things like marjoram and mint would have gone by now. Yes, but they would have marjoram and mint dried. Yeah. I think this is another one of those, since rosemary and bay leaves were coming as... Christmas decorations they might have assumed or it had that association with Christmas so you Mm. start using it a lot of the food contained alcohol we will not get away from alcohol for Christmas (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's all right yeah the nobility and royalty would gild the rosemary for garnish if they could afford it what I mean by gilding is you take rosemary and you actually gild the rosemary as part of the garnish you're putting gold on rosemary before you serve the brawn. Hmm. Do you not do that now? <laughs> I wouldn't even know how. How do you get gold to stick to rosemary? I have no idea. I've never tried to gild anything. Neither have I. It's ridiculously expensive, and I have seen people yeah. do it. You use a paintbrush to lay it on the pastry. You gild chocolate or some chocolate leaves or something yes. these days, don't you? But yeah. No. No, we shan't be gilding. Not in this house. <laughs> So while you're having technically the same named dish, recognize the difference between the poor person's dish and the royal or noble or merchant's dish. It just, it would not look the same at all. Mm. And apparently gold is edible. I didn't know that. You yeah, don't, I, I guess it must be. But why would you eat it? I mean, it's edible, but quite a few things are edible. But yes. you wouldn't want to eat it. It is entirely a show of how wealthy you are. 
It's ridiculous. So, you can assume that somewhere in the Jake's pits, which is the sewer pits of the Tudors, there's probably gold in there. You could go mining. <laughs> yes, I was, <laughs> I was just thinking, well, I suppose it goes right through, so you're probably safe eating it. <laughs> yes. I was just thinking about Cleopatra drinking her pearl. Yeah, I was and... too, actually. <laughs> she dissolved it in vinegar. It's the well. Even if it didn't dissolve, it's the right shape. It should should make <laughs> its way through. It's like kids eating marbles. It'll pass. Yes. The four quarters of the pig were considered choice cuts at the time, which is backwards from what we think of. More people now lean towards the ham, which is the back, hip, thigh, and and the bum. Really, <laughs> you're eating pig's bum. Hmm. In the Tudor times, those cuts would have been given to the servants to eat. In noble houses, it was all the forequarters, the shoulders, the hocks, the chest, and the head. Mm. Is that a fatty? Because I'd imagine they probably like their meat fattier than people would now. Yes, and the pig's cheeks are considered a delicacy, and in some places it's still a delicacy to find pig cheeks. They're quite expensive. I went looking to see if this was still a thing, and turns out, yeah, it's still a thing. Okay. It's like fish cheeks. Apparently those are really soft and the most tasty part of the fish, too. Fish cheek? What, the cheeks on their face? Well, for fish, it's behind their eyes. It's complicated. <laughs> I'd never really thought of a fish having cheeks. <laughs> yep. Well, takes all sort. Yes. <laughs> Although, if you're going to eat an animal, I'd like you to eat as much of it as possible. Oh, yeah, eat the whole thing, yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with them eating the cheeks. The eyeballs, though, I, I draw the line at the eyeballs. <laughs> you could gild them. <laughs> I might gild them. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I just thought at least they wouldn't be looking at you as you ate them. But <laughs> Anyway, this is all making sounding absolutely delicious so far. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, people loved this food and looked forward to it. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, it's just not, not my cup of tea. <laughs> No, no. And for us, it ended up sticking with us. Turkey or ham is usually the traditional Christmas mm -hmm. dish in North America. Yep. For regular North Americans. What I mean by regular North Americans is us who've been here long enough that we have absolutely no culture left. <laughs> <laughs> People who come from other areas of the country or, or other areas of the world still have their own cultural traditions. We just sort of, I don't know, they, they kind of disappeared. Like, you don't have Canadian food. What is a Canadian food? Americans call Canadian bacon, which we go ham or back bacon. We don't eat it. Right. <laughs> we don't call it Canadian bacon at all. So we don't really have... Do you have, not have a, a national color? dish? No, not that I'm aware of. I suppose our national dish would be Sunday roast. Not that I make Sunday, Sunday dinners, just a minute, but... Yeah, things like roast, Ooh, uh, roast meat and then roast potatoes, Yorkshire puddings. Yeah, we um, don't really have that either. Yeah. Canada's funny. We are not a cultural melting pot where everything just sort of drops into one. We encourage people to keep their culture. Mm. We, we like that variety. So, I don't know, sometimes you just... There is no real Canadian culture. If you look at Canadian culture, it's... Pick the culture of absolutely everybody, mix it together, and celebrate everything. Hmm. Well, I think when they, if there was a, a poll to find out Britain's favourite dish, I think it was uh, 
curry? Ta- tandoori. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <It was. laughs> mm. Love curry. Mm. If the farmer or villager lived on the land of a generous lord, they could expect a really good piece of meat shared with them from the lord's stock. This was back and forth. Farmers were expected to give their lords a hen, but they would get a greater or more expensive or rarer cut of beef back. It was due to the tradition of generosity and was quite often written into the contract of land use. Hmm. Which I thought was funny, that you actually had to put it into a contract because some lords were not generous and didn't do this. Well, yeah, I was just thinking it takes out the um, sort of charitable aspect of it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So the generosity of your lord was no longer shown by them giving you meat. It was the amount and the type that was provided you showed the generosity. Food was to be shared, and a kind lord would send the best cut of meat that their tenants would ever see in the entire year. In some cases, we've got accounts of them actually receiving venison, which you cannot get unless you are nobility. Again, venison is a hunted animal. Mm. Are they allowed so to this eat was that? huge. Or is it, is it like the sumptuary laws that you're only allowed to eat what your station in life allows? It's hard to say during Henry's time. And I do know if you're gifted it, you could have it. Right. But mostly if you weren't gifted it, you were poaching. You'd it. Yes. yes. <laughs> Which was the death penalty. Mm. So I, I'd probably be awfully scared if I walked into a house that had venison or quail or pheasant and especially wild boar because mm. they went looking for you and it has a distinctive smell when it's cooking <laughs> like, how do you slyly do that I don't know yes so don't do that during Christmas but no. you might have okay. been gifted it you'd want a receipt you want, you want a letter from the load <laughs> saying this is a gift <laughs> is fine they're allowed to eat it don't kill them yes when we think about meat even with farmers and tenant villagers most of them could not afford expensive cut or any cut of chicken yes we think of chicken as a common low-cost food but in tudor times they were quite a bit smaller they were about half the size of the chicken we have now and they were kept for their egg production. It was mm. a horrible waste of income to actually eat a chicken. You'd only eat that chicken after they were eight, nine, ten years mm. old, once they no longer produced eggs. Even if they were producing a small amount of eggs, the eggs were such a valuable source of protein, you would keep those chickens going as long as you possibly could. And also, you can always eat the cockerels. Yes, except cockerels most people didn't eat because they were sold off to become capons. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> now, can we tell one of those <laughs> from a goose? Yes, we can. <laughs> Farmers and villagers may or may not have been well enough off to sometimes purchase salted beef or salted pork. Those were the two most common cuts of meat, beef, was more expensive, obviously, but we would be talking about cuts that most people wouldn't take now, which is like the shin or the tail, that kind of thing, the tongue, 
the tongue was something you could get salted. Tongue, tongue was very popular until relatively recently. I mean, probably about the 40s or 50s yes. people were still eating tongue. Yes. And then suddenly people went, ugh, they're not touching it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the way they presented it in Tudor times was quite gruesome. They'd actually nail it into the a cutting board so that it, it stayed the shape of the tongue. <laughs> Gruesome. <laughs> I looked at some stuff and I was like, this is really pretty. And then you'd flip the page. Ugh. <laughs> Why would you do that? Like the well, bronze. They didn't need it hidden. Now, nowadays, people like not to. Not to think about the animal they're eating. Think that they're eating the animal, yeah. Yes. Whereas if you know it comes from an animal yes. and you haven't shut your mind to it, you might as well have it look like the animal. Yes. Yes. Mm. Like the brawn, if you were an, if you were poorer, quite often the brawn would have been the boiled head, and then all the meats picked apart, put in that jelly, and the eyeballs would be set on top of the jelly, so they were looking out at you. <laughs> Did they do that as a joke, just to scare people when they opened the <laughs> Possibly, I don't know. You really, uh, yeah, it's. I think it's another example of not understanding the Tudors at all. The more (laughs) we learn about them, the less we can make them out. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That is a definite generational divide. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) You did what? (laughs) (laughs) So chickens were saved for egg production unless they were too old to lay, or they were owned by somebody very, very wealthy who just bred chickens to eat. So the salted beef or salted pork would be added to the pottage sporadically throughout the year. So while you think, okay, they're getting meat, it's sometimes every three or four months. Quite a few of the tutors would have been vegetarians, but not out of choice. Hmm. And yes, they would have been malnourished. When you talk about vegetarianism today, we have access to all vegetables and fruit practically year round. Yeah, and all sorts of other things to... To buffer. Top it up with, yes. Yes, whereas the Tudors only had available what was growing and in season. Mm. They might have had all sorts of deficiencies that it wouldn't have occurred to them they'd have had. I mean, apart from you might well have had deficiency in in vitamin C in the winter. Yes, scurvy was quite common. B12. Vitamin D, rickets. Yeah. Which is sunshine. Um, Mm. B12, practically everything. Mm. Iron. Iron, yeah. Well, actually, possibly not iron. Kale is one of the highest Yeah, it was a winter of, crop. Yeah. Yes, and it was quite popular. Mm-hmm. You can eat kale year-round, so possibly? I don't know. I do know that when people had been bleeding a lot and they were exhausted, one of the things they gave them was mulled wine, and it did perk them up. And the thought was that the mulled wine itself did it, but it turns out you would heat an iron poker in the fire and then put Mm. that into the mulled wine. And when they tested it, the iron from the poker ended up in the mulled wine. And and all the soot and ash and everything else. (laughs) Yes, that too. That too. But it's interesting that an actual remedy that they had worked, but not because of Mm. why they thought it worked. We came across a few things like that, like putting moss into a wound, and it turned out actually moss is beneficial, not just as a sort of padding out a wound, but it also contains antibiotics, so yes. or antiseptic. 
Can't remember. Same with something we thought was just ridiculous. The fact that they'd put horse manure on cuts that had become infected. Well, it turns out horse manure can still kill MRSA, the superbug. Yeah. (laughs) All the honey as well. Honey is fantastic. All sorts of things. Yeah. Yes. Pottage, since we've been discussing it, is boiled vegetables, grains, and meat if they can afford the meat. And they would have been putting that out all year. And in some cases, we have records of it just staying on the fire the whole year and just continually added to. I went to a pub that had 20-year-old soup. And they'd done that. Yes. I mean, they were obviously risking botulism and all sorts of things. But if they keep it going... Apparently, if you keep it at a particular temperature, it doesn't have the chance to grow that. Hmm. Which is why they could do this. I didn't try it, but um, <laughs> presumably 40-year-old suit by now, because it's a long time since I went to that pub. Oh, yeah. Somewhere in Norfolk, I seem to remember. Hmm. Pork would have been more readily available than any other types of meat. That's because they can eat scraps. Hmm. So farmers would raise pork not only to sell, but also to help compost human waste. So a lot of privies were built right beside the pig pens, or they'd even be joined up. So there was a thought that pig waste helped human waste compost faster. Oh, right. They weren't expecting the pig to eat. No, 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 no. no. Oh, right. Good, no, good, they good, would good. eat kitchen scraps. Like, you know how we cut the ends off of romaine lettuce and we throw that away? Well, that would just go out to the pigs and the chickens. So they were a bit more economical to keep. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah, we've had chickens for years and years, and now we haven't got any. And you suddenly have to keep finding food and thinking, oh, well, what do I do with this yes. now? <laughs> <laughs> I can't compost it because it will attract rats. So, right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I'm suddenly having to put out food recycling. It just seems shocking. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. i bag it up for someone else's chickens, maybe. That would be a sensible thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Pigs, because they would eat food scraps that humans can't or won't eat, means that they're cheaper to raise than other animals. And if you could not afford to raise and butcher your own pigs, there are records of pig shares. Oh, which yeah. is Yeah, groups of people getting together and using their kitchen scraps to feed a pig that they would then share through the year. You still get that. It's, um, farmers announce, you know, announce a quarter of an investment in a pig. Okay. So, um, I mean, you don't but are you, provide... you paying money or are you just providing the food? I think you're paying money, but I presume if you could go around with, with your scraps, I suppose. But mm-hmm. hmm. These pig shares made it much easier for people to have access to an animal. And pigs don't take up as much room as a cow. No. No. And also, they churn up the ground quite nicely so you can move them yes. about and then you can plant all your vegetables after yes. on that land. And they grow like crazy. There are many accounts of lords providing whole goose or beef roasts to their farmers and villagers, their tenants. So villagers are separate. There are two types of villagers. There are freeholders, which own their property. But the majority of them are actually renting from a lord. Mm. So the ones who are renting from a lord had a chance of getting something for Christmas from that lord. And again... We do find contracts where it is included, which is interesting. I thought so the Lord couldn't be trusted. <laughs> yes, <laughs> possibly. I'm not sure if it's the Lord couldn't be trusted. 
The more I dive into the court roles, and by court roles this time I mean litigation, the tutors were incredibly litigious. Hmm. They sued at the drop of a hat. But then again, they most of them wouldn't have been able to write things down, so it was done on word of mouth. Yes, so, it was. So you had yeah. witnesses that needed to come in and testify. Hmm. And to be bribed. <laughs> yes. But I just found it so interesting, the kinds of things that you can see them suing over like so and so called me this and it damaged my reputation and damaged it so badly I can no longer perform certain functions like people won't purchase from me so I've lost my livelihood it is insane how often they were in court so I would imagine all these contracts were sort of like this is to keep us out of court yes (laughs) (laughs) it's really surprising which made me I remember thinking at the time when we talked about the inns and how many lawyers there actually were at those inns of law. Mm. And after going through, yeah, Mm. (laughs) after going through all of these, no wonder each family would send one younger son off to learn the law. You'd need somebody all the Mm. time. In some very rare cases, we have accounts of portions of wild boar being given to villagers and tenants and farmers. That one was incredibly rare, not only because the fact that wild boar could only be hunted and therefore was considered a gift of the nobility, but because the hunting of them was also incredibly dangerous. They hunted them with spears. Yeah, you do hear quite a lot of accidents, don't you? With, yes. And people being speared yes. or, or shot with an arrow when the, yes. the other person has missed the ball. <laughs> Hunting is of, not a safe sport. No. Was it uh, William, William Rufus? Yes, he was shot with an arrow. Much earlier, yeah. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of accounts of hunting accidents, mm. especially with getting wild boar. Wild boar could kill you. You would be gored and ripped apart. So getting any sort of wild boar would be huge if your landlord gave that to you. I would imagine you'd have to do something spectacular for your lord to be giving you a portion of wild boar. Hmm. Regardless of what your lord provided, it would be a welcome and exciting change to your diet. I can only imagine how much people would be looking forward to the meals. It might yes. be something you haven't had. I think we've lost that now. Yes. Because there's nothing you can have at Christmas that you can't have at any other time. Yes. Mm. A friend of mine, well, my co-worker and I were just discussing this. Halloween was a disappointment. Not because there wasn't a lot of candy, but because her kids don't have the same craze about Halloween as we did as kids. We didn't have candy in the house. Hmm. So Halloween was this huge thing where you got all this candy and you could go absolutely insane. With her kids, because candy is so readily available, Halloween was just sort of, eh, I don't want to walk out in the cold. We've got candy at home. (laughs) And she was disappointed that they didn't want to do it. I suggested that she stop having candy in the house. Well, yes, that is the obvious solution. (laughs) But at the same time, it's almost a healthier way to go because I remember gobbling so much that we got sick because we didn't get it. And it's I don't remember that from Halloween because we didn't do... We used to to have... We didn't have trick-or-treat. Yes. 
Um, used to, my mum and dad used to have Halloween parties, but that's because my dad was in, made horror films, so it was sort of part of <laughs> part of his makeup. I think really totally to makes it. sense. Um, but Easter, definitely Easter, and suddenly yes. you've got all this chocolate. Yes, and you eat it all all at once, and, and you get sick. Projectile vomiting for yes. the rest of the day. <laughs> Yeah, happy Easter. <laughs> oh, happy Christmas. I'm pretty sure this happened oh, yes. during Christmas from all this food that's now available. Yeah. It's the same as now. You sort of, anything that you really don't get very often, you tend to gobble it and eat twice as much as you should because you know you're not going to get it the next year. So it's almost healthier to have it year-round because then you might actually <laughs> yes. eat only what you should. But people still go berserk just before Christmas, don't they? Making sure they've got everything in the house that they could possibly, yes. possibly need. Yes. I wonder and what that's going to be so like this year with the shortages of food still. Because now we're finally able to entertain again. But we mm. haven't made up the food shortages. Or we can't afford to buy it. Yes. Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> yes. Hey. That generosity made me wonder. We know that Margaret Beaufort was an incredibly generous lady to her tenants. And I'm wondering how much wine she gave them at Christmas. Very little, I should think. <laughs> she drank it all. <laughs> Mince pies. Uh -huh. This is going to sound awkward for people because it's still in the section of savory dishes and main dishes. Well, they did use mince meat. was mince meat, wasn't it? Before? Yes, exactly. With, with lots of fruit and spices. Well, I made the first batch of mince pies yesterday. They were all right. I was fine with mince pies. The first ones and the last ones are the worst because really? I, I don't make many pies so okay. I've got to relearn how to make pies oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just getting the hang of it and then towards the end of December I'm beginning to lose interest right so there's a sort of peak <laughs> in the middle where, where I make really nice mince pies <laughs> but no yesterday's were a bit a bit chewy <laughs> oh I don't mind chewy these pies were of course like today, a big part of Christmas feasts, but they were very different. And they were a big part, both as a tradition, because they'd been eaten for so long, but also as a religious observance, which I had no idea existed. The traditional 13 ingredients in mince pies represented all 12 of the disciples plus Jesus. I didn't know there were meant to be 13. Just yeah. like a single cake at Easter, when you put the yes. little balls on the top. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And these ingredients were also ridiculously expensive. Mm. They would include imported fruit of currants, raisins, prunes, as well as imported spices of cloves, black pepper, mace, and saffron. Saffron's yeah, we don't put black pepper in anymore, do we? But no, we don't. I know we're making hippocras. Yeah. Yes. But making hippocras, black pepper was... Um, long pe pepper was one of the ingredients of spices. Yes. For whatever you were making. Yes. And I'm sure it's nice, like putting um, chili with chocolate. Yes. I should imagine it's probably quite nice. I might put pepper in my next ones. Yeah, mm. it sounds odd, but at the same time, it sounds right. Yeah, give it a bit of a bite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The one thing that most people now today wouldn't recognize is, as you said, the meat. It's usually mutton. We have mincemeat pies now that have absolutely no meat whatsoever in them. <laughs> you no, don't even you, have the hint of it. <laughs> I mean, you could put suet in, but there's also vegetable suet. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> in 
in Tudor times, the meat was the most prevalent ingredient and represented the shepherds. All right. So every ingredient represented something. So as the spices, the wise men? Yes. Or not the wise men, sorry, the disciples. All right, yes. Each spice or each fruit was supposed to be part of the disciple. And you would think that the pastry would be one ingredient? No, they didn't eat the pastry. They ate inside the pastry. They didn't actually eat the pastry. Oh, their pastry is probably a bit like mine then. (laughs) (laughs) The pastry was shaped like a crib as it was Jesus's nativity. I have a really hard time picturing this, but it turns out you can put like spokes on the outside by rolling up pastry, turning it into a crib look. In noble houses that were extremely well off and at court, you may have found your mince pie to have a top, or as they called it, a lid of pastry. That had a pastry sculpture of baby Jesus on it. So you didn't eat this lid. No. It was not eaten. So is, the, is Jesus the, the little handle that you lift the lid up with? No, I... Okay, I'm going to explain or... No, I'm, I'm going to tell you about something. Lucy Worsley does the 12 Days of Tudor Christmas. And they show how they lift the pie off, the pie crust. And the reason they don't lift it by a handle is because it gets reused. <laughs> so well, it's the baked. following year? Or... No, no, for various dishes throughout the evening. Because they don't eat the pastry, It come, you make the crib, you put the lid on, or it's baked without the lid. The lid is baked separately. It's laid on top and then lifted very carefully off to present the food at the table. That lid is then taken back and put on the next pie so that it gets okay. used over and over and over again. It's more of a decoration than anything else. We don't know if this particular top would have been reused with the crib of baby Jesus, but I could imagine since it took so long to make, probably. Yeah. And at court, you can almost guarantee that that top was gilded entirely with gold leaf. Hmm. They must have got sick of the sight of gold and jewels and things, wasn't they? They must have taken... (laughs) Taken it for granted? Yes. It's... I mean, they're all meant to be precious things, but they're not if you see them all the time. All the time. Mm. And at the same time, you wouldn't because everything that you could gild with gold increased the light in the room. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why you'd see a lot of silver and gold plate. Mm. Because it's to help brighten up the room. Reflection. Yes. For mince pies specifically, the gilding was supposed to represent one of the gifts of the Magi to Jesus. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Mm. We also need to picture these pies as humongous. They're not the little small tart affairs that we have now, but large enough to feed several people, up to 20. Which is probably why they didn't eat the pastry, because it must be difficult making pastry that cooks... Oh, could evenly. you imagine how thick that would be? Yeah. And it's not going to disintegrate. Because they mm. didn't have pans, the pie, the pastry was the pan. Mm. Yeah. Well, very much recyclable. Yes. Mm. Except for the gold. Not sure how you get the gold off. <laughs> the food of court was always impressive, but perhaps never so impressive as at Christmas. A huge variety of food on top of what we have described was served over the holidays at court. Wild boar was roasted, then either re-blackened with soot 
before serving to make it look more alive. Or we're not entirely sure when this changeover happened, but in the Tudor reigns, at some point, instead of being blackened with soot, they painted it with bright colors. Not sure why. Mm. The boar's head was such an important food that it entered the feasting hall on a gold dish and was accompanied by trumpets and songs. And you can actually watch this ceremony, that documentary, Lucy Worsley's 12 Days of Tudor Christmas. They mm -hmm. perform the ceremony of people singing and trumpets, and it's really good. Now here's the strange part. There's the strange part. <laughs> well, this is, I'm just thinking this... they're bringing in a head on a plate while people play trumpets. Now we yes. get the strange part. True. <laughs> well, it's strange in the part, or it's strange in the reference to the fact that this is such a Christian holiday. <laughs> the boar is not associated with Christmas at all. The boar is associated with the pagan fertility figure Ing who represents rebirth. I've never heard of Ing. Yeah, he still exists. <laughs> <laughs> People still worship him. They know him. So not only are you celebrating a pagan figure during Christmas, the most, well, the second most dedicated holiday to the Christian calendar, hmm. you're then eating the symbol of that figure. Well, Christianity did subsume quite a lot of pagan influences, didn't it? Yes. But to do that, they usually then associated it with a Christian... Yeah. Well, I was just wondering about uh, John the Baptist when they brought the head in, whether they were bringing any links with that. As far as I know, no. They mm. all knew it was this big infertility <laughs> person. <laughs> Hi, Ing! <laughs> and I kept on going. I, we have the weirdest belief systems. Mm. <laughs> a funny aside is Queen's College, Oxford... They still have a boar's head ceremony called Boar's Head Gaudy. This year, and I'm thankful that we're putting this out after the date. Don't go trying to find it. It's I going should to say be, this is 2022, just in case you're confused. I'm about to say future. 2022. Okay, sorry. This year it will be resumed after being cancelled for COVID. They are holding it on December 17th, 2022. It is not something you can just show up and watch, which is why I'm glad this is going out after that date. You have to be a member, and they only allow members that are matriculated in specific years due to space considerations. Matriculated means you have been enrolled to a specific program. But it's really nice to know that it's still going on. They're honoring the story of a medieval student who fought off a wild boar with a volume of Aristotle. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oxford and Cambridge colleges do all sorts of... <laughs> Very bizarre things. I love it. I love strange <laughs> traditions, as long as it doesn't involve, you know, anything violent. <laughs> no, 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 there's a nice one at Magdalen College, Oxford, where on May Day, the choir boys stand right at the top of the college and sing. If you get up early enough, you can go and stand oh. aside and, and listen. listen. And then all the pubs open first thing in the morning. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, having lived in Oxford, some, yes, you sometimes think, why are so many drunk people staggering about at 11 in the morning? Ah. <laughs> yeah, but other than that, it's a very nice, and people jump off the bridge into the river. Oh. Mm. It's not very deep. I don't think there are many drownings. <laughs> <laughs> the Christmas feasts were a time for the king to show off his royal wealth and largesse. We really see this in the food. Capons, which we mentioned earlier, are the castrated roosters that get sold mm -hmm. to people. 
quail, doves, partridge, peacocks, geese, swan, hens, rabbit, beef, mutton, veal, lamb, venison, pork, and wild boar may all have been served at a single feast. Mm. <laughs> Many of the beasts and fowl would be filled with force meat, what we would consider stuffing, but it had no breading. Force meat could be made of pork, herbs, currants, and egg. And these were often in the famous boar's head that had been boned and restuffed with the force meat for you to be able to eat what looked like a boar's head. If a meat was hunted, you would see it at Christmas. There was both a huge variety and amount of food served, but none of it would go to waste except for the little coffin pastry thingies. <laughs> Anything not eaten was handed out to the poor in the surrounding area. Can you imagine going from eating barely anything, so you're almost starving, to eating something that rich? I don't think mm. that's good for you. And you're, it's not going to last because it's already cooked, so you've got to eat it yes. pretty much straight away. Yes. No, I think that's quite a shock to the system. Yes. I did read that Tudor nobles and monarchs would have salads in the shape of their coats of arms, but I wasn't able to find a detailed description and I really couldn't picture it. We can say that the Tudor salad included a selection of seasonally available herbs, leaves, and pickles, as well as dried fruits and nuts. So I guess yeah, it would... Sounds nice. It does sound Actually, nice. It sounds like the nicest thing so far. And I'm not going to ruin it for you then. Okay. <laughs> Go on, then. what else does it have in it? Well, the problem is, is it's washed with water that could contain human waste. So the reason they thought salads were unhealthy was because they were getting dysentery and cholera right, yeah. from it. Yep, yep. <laughs> this is not the case in Tudor nobles' houses, though. For some reason, they understood the difference. They did not use night soil, which is human waste, in their vegetable gardens. They used animal soil that was well rotted, so you didn't have the same bacteria. But, yes, it could make you sick if you were eating vegetables and fruit that had been grown using human waste. But this didn't happen. It's Christmas. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I hope people aren't actually eating while they're listening to this. <laughs> no, they're drinking their hot chocolate, which has hot absolutely cho nothing bad <laughs> in it. Christmas pudding was very much eaten by Tudor farmers. In England, this will not be a surprise, but for North Americans... Puddings don't refer to a gelatinous or creamy flavored food. <laughs> Pudding in the Tudor era continuing on in much of English speaking areas is actually a term for anything cooked by boiling. Mm. Whether it's a sausage, black pudding, or a sort of cake boiled in a floured cloth. Christmas pudding. The Christmas pudding. I don't think many people make their Christmas pudding in a little bag anymore. No, but you still have <laughs> sausage. Black pudding. Yeah. Yeah. The Christmas pudding would have been shaped like a ball or a sausage, depending on the length and width of the cloth used. You can't imagine them all looking exactly the same because you were restricted by the type of cloth or the shape of the cloth. Do you have cloth. Christmas pudding in Canada? No, for us it's very similar to what we have as fruitcake. I'm not mm. a fan of fruitcake. Lots of people buy fruitcake just so it can sit out. Nobody actually eats yes. <laughs> People eat it, but it's got these weird... I don't know, hard bits of fake fruit in it. It's like maraschino cherries. You know how they take the cherry, they bleach it, then they re-dye it, and then they bury it in sugar for a while, so it, it's not a cherry anymore? 
To me, it's not good, so I do not eat Christmas fruitcake. I just don't. And you have to be very careful. This is a public health warning based on experience. Do not let your dogs have anywhere near anything like fruitcake or Christmas pudding. No. Or um, we've just been talking about them. Pies. Mince pies. Mince pies. Yes, there's a lot of fruit that are absolutely toxic to dogs. Yep, and if they do eat them, take them to the vet immediately. Yes, (laughs) do not wait. If you wait any length of time, that could be the end of your animal. Yep, end of public health warning. Yes. But we've had two Christmases running where we've had to go to the dog. Oh, no! (laughs) the vet. And not only is it traumatic, it's very expensive. (laughs) Aw. Back to the pudding. Yep. It contained meat, oatmeal, and spices. This is another change that has occurred over time. Tudor food that had meat in it, do not now. Mm. Over time, the cost of ingredients and tastes changed. The imported sugar, the fruit, and spices became less costly, and to show off, the cook would put more and more of those ingredients in and less and less meat. Eventually, the meat disappeared entirely. Right. We can almost guarantee that there would have been figgy pudding for all walks of life especially since you would often give out figgy pudding during the christmas celebrations as people went from door to door wassailing i'm never entirely sure what figgy pudding is i know we all like figgy pudding it's part <laughs> of the song okay <laughs> but yes i'm not entirely sure i've never made a figgy pudding figgy pudding would have been made with flour a fat either lard or suet or butter figs and other dried fruit and spices so it's very similar to a cake some modern day recipes still follow the tradition of boiling the pudding but it doesn't give you the same effect as what it was then i'm not sure why people would try boiling it now boiling in a cloth doesn't actually boil the mixture the cloth is dampened then layered with flour and the flour creates a paste that makes the cloth waterproof so it's much more like baking than boiling Mm. the consistency of the figgy pudding would be very similar to a heavy cake or as we mentioned earlier the fruit cake christmas fruit cake today if you have it i like the texture Mm. don't like the cake the twelfth night cake this is a fruit cake that contained a bean for farmers and usually a coin for merchants or nobles or a gem if you were at the king's court. Just like for the farmers, whoever found the bean in their slice, if they didn't choke, <laughs> became... I'm just thinking that gem is going to, no one's going to find that. <laughs> you could sort of go, and then go, oh, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everybody's looking at each other like nobody has yes. it. <laughs> no, it would be fairly large. They could find it. They would become the king or queen of the evening, dictating what people did for the entertainment, and in some cases were copied action for action. If they ate, you ate. If they danced, you danced. If they drank, you drank. Oh, right. That just sort of sounds like an awful <laughs> drinking game. I was just thinking, we've got a four-year-old that sounds very similar to that. <laughs> but that's not just for Christmas. That's all the time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The bean just went to the alcoholic of the group. <laughs> We're going to (laughs) die. Nobody can keep up. A Tudor Christmas would have been a raucous occasion. Everybody would be drinking. The water, after all, was dangerous to drink. So everybody would be drinking. But they didn't use the small beer. They used the 
heavy alcoholic beer from the first batch. Mm. Also, wine. Wine was served in a multitude of ways. There were tons of recipes for mulled wine. And then on top of that, you'd have regular wine. And on top of that, you'd have some spirits because it's Christmas. And Hippocrats. And Hippocrats to make you feel better after all that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's drink some more. People would be playing and listening to music. They would be dancing, playing games. And I don't mean games where you sit down with a board game. I mean games that were like tag or blind man's bluff. They'd be watching and participating in mystery plays or if you're at the court pageants. They'd be walking or riding to neighbors' houses and family member houses to visit. They would be hunting. Hunting was huge for the court during Christmas. They would have been much more active than we usually are now, and that may have been easier for them to eat so much food. Yeah, because now people eat and then slump in front of the telly for the afternoon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just like us, though, I think they would have felt stuffed silly and just wanted to curl up for a nap a few times during Christmas. And on that note, I'm going to make myself a hot chocolate, snuggle up in front of the fireplace with my cats, a quilt, and a lovely book. Merry Christmas, everybody. Lovely to me. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.